Alison and I have a very exciting announcement to make, which is that our new book, Leading Edge, has just been published and it's available to purchase on Amazon and in all of the good bookshops. Um, it's all about the strategies for developing and sustaining high performing teams. It's aimed at leaders, but anybody who's working with a team or as part of a team and is interested in how to get that team to high performance, I think will we'll really value uh, some of the content that's in the book. Um, we look forward to hearing your feedback on what you think of it. And if you've got any questions or thoughts or just want to start a discussion with us about Leading Edge please get in touch. So today's podcast is all about the role of a leader in high performance in a team. Now, the team is made up of a bunch of individuals and a leader, you could argue, is just another member of the team. But they've got a very special place in the team, haven't they, Alison? They do. They've got a very special place. They have a different perspective, let's face it. They're the manager of all the individuals in the team. Um, they have access to uh, resources, many more than the individual team members have. They have a helicopter view as well. So they have a wider view about what everybody's doing within the team. But also, hopefully, they've got that view about outside the team and what's needed and what the stakeholders are expecting from the team. Um, and they should be connected to a much wider group of stakeholders who are interested in the outputs and what's going on in the team. They've also got um, connections and relationships with each individual on the team. So they're probably the most connected to everybody um, in the team. And so a good leader in the team will know exactly what's going on, who's doing well, who's not, how are they you know, dealing with the, the stakeholders. So while they're part of the team, they do have a very special role and they've got some really special qualities that come with that position. Yeah, that piece around the connection and the relationships that they have with the stakeholders of the team, yeah. I think is a really important one because they can provide such a different perspective for the team on how the stakeholders of the team see the team, how they perceive them, how they're judging high performance or performance in, in general, what they want, what they need, are they delivering that? All of those conversations, they're the ones who have probably best placed to have them usually. Now, yeah. that's not to say that other team members shouldn't also be having those conversations. They absolutely should be. But we often find that the leader has those conversations almost naturally based on the role that they play in the team. And they've got the more strategic view as yeah. well about where does this team need to go in the future and what are going to be some of the challenges for the team and how are we going to have to adapt as a team? So I think, you know, talking to the stakeholders, understanding that wider context that teams operating in, they have a very interesting um, viewpoint to bring back to the team and use that to challenge the team and how they're operating, what they're doing and how they can continue to improve and grow. And what we see in the highest performing teams is that it's not just the leader that plays that role of managing stakeholders, that actually that role becomes shared amongst the team much more. So team members get much more exposure to the various stakeholders. The leader doesn't hold on to that so tightly anymore. Yeah. Um, in mediocre or poor performing teams, what we see is that the leader often really you know, will protect their stakeholders. Well, they probably say it's protecting their team, actually, but actually what they're doing is holding on quite tightly to those relationships that only they 
are have that connection and deep relationship with those stakeholders. And particularly in, you know, poor performing or mediocre teams, often you'll see that the team is disempowered and don't even feel that they have the right to look outside or bring in, even if they did have the connections and the knowledge, they might not share it back in with the team because they feel that's the leader's role and they don't want to step on the leader's toes. So you get that old fashioned hierarchical view about what a leader should do and shouldn't do. And, you know, I, I think, you know, our thinking about the role of the leader and it being a very special role, but they're actually a member of the team. The team is going to deliver the, the leader's not going to do it on their own. In fact, the leader's going to do very little in terms of the delivery. Um, the leader is an enabler of the delivery. And one of the things that we've noticed that really underlines this special role that a leader has in the team is how much team members pay attention to that leader. So I can guarantee if you put yourself, you know, think about yourself and your boss, if you have one, how aware are you of their mood on a particular day? I bet you can say exactly how you think they're feeling (laughs) based on based on maybe the email that you've received from them that morning or just a, a short conversation. You're probably hyper aware of how they're feeling, what their mood is like, you know, at any given moment. And that's very much human nature, you know, in terms of a leader and our stance in relation to them. We pay a lot of attention to them. Um, And I think that just underlines this whole idea of them having a special role. But of course, the downside of that for the leader is that it means that they have to pay a huge amount of attention to how they behave and how they act and the impact that can therefore have on everybody in the team yeah. so um you know if you're a leader who wears their heart on their sleeve and and you know everybody knows if you're in a bad mood that can have a really negative impact on, on your team members so you know then the opposite is probably also true if you're in a great mood probably that means everybody else is in a great mood too is there a way of leveling that out or maximizing the moments where you are having that positive impact on the team um, rather than a negative impact Yeah, well, just learning to use your emotions intentionally rather than just letting them leak out in any old way. Um, But it can be a big shock to leaders to realise that the spotlight is on them all the time when they're out there. Yeah. Um, And that people are making assumptions and their own stories get made up. Um, And leaders may be really surprised at some of the stories that team members will think (laughs) <laughs> is going on for them filling in the um, blanks yeah. because they fill in all the blanks yeah. so you know it is a it's an important part but you're being watched all the time so yeah. communication and building those connections across the team members so they can start to challenge each other is really important mm. so that you're not the only important one in the team actually you are a member of the team Another piece that, Ali, you mentioned a minute ago was this idea of the leader enabling the team. Mm, And We've heard a lot recently about the idea of servant leadership, haven't we? Yes. Um, And the concept is a good one. We just we we have a bit of a reaction, as I think quite a few people do, to the idea of the word servant. Um, But the concept means ultimately being there. Your primary role is to serve the team and to enable them to be really, really successful. We would just probably change the language a bit because the the word servant suggests less than. And we don't think the leader is less than the team. Yeah, and I don't think leaders want to think of themselves that way either. But the context is really nice in terms of, you know, 
the leader is there to enable, to empower and to help the team deliver whatever it is that they're working on. Um, but I think it is an equal membership, just as the team are not subservient to the leader. They all have an equal part in the team's success. And so we would talk much more about it being team first leadership. Yeah. And so this means shifting the, your focus as a leader away from just the individuals in your team, which is, I think, is how often leadership development has has, has and still is taught um, in many uh, contexts. It's about being able to motivate and engage an individual in your team. It's about managing their performance. It's about developing them, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We would actually shift that to be, actually, if you really want to get the most out of your people, think about it from a team first perspective rather than an individual first perspective. And I think in that perspective, what we're seeing is the team members can all do that too. So it's team first, not just for the leader, but for everybody in the team, it becomes a mindset shift. So every member of the team thinks of the team before their own tasks and the leader does that too. So the leader models the way. So as the leader is watched and observed, so too are they in this way. And one of the concepts that I think really links really nicely back to what we've just been talking about there is this idea of a leader as either of one of one of two things, basically, and probably both if we're really realistic at the same time. Either they're an interference to their team, they get in the way, they and they don't do this deliberately. No leader gets in their team's way deliberately. It's always an accident. And usually because they're not aware of the impact that they're having, they're not thinking about that. They're not seeing that impact on the team. Um, and there's, so there's an interference, being an interference and getting in the team's way, or they're, they're an accelerator. There's something that maximizes that team's chances of high performance. They're helping them to get there quicker than they otherwise would without that um, involvement in some way. I think yeah. often leaders become interferences because they're trying to be an accelerator. So they're trying to help the team move faster, do things better, step in, push them along, and then they end up interfering yeah. <laughs> and getting in the way of things. Yeah. So rather than asking the team what they need and working with the team, um, they often just go in with their own view of it mm. and don't get feedback to say, actually, you're right in the way. Yeah. And there's so many stories when we talk to teams about them saying, these leaders are in the way. Yeah. They're just yeah. annoying us. They're slowing things down and we can't do the things we want to do. And probably the leader has never asked before. Never. Never had feedback on it. Not even aware. And they're mortified when they find out that they that the team is perceiving them in, in this way, that they're actually getting in the way. Because actually, as you said, they've, they've had very positive intentions with their behaviour to actually help and to get things done quicker or to make a decision in the right way or deliver the strategy, whatever it might be. But actually, all they've done in, inadvertently is to get in their team's way. I mean, how sad is that? You know? I know. Yeah. And I can think of some examples where, you know, leaders have thought that the team needed them to make specific you know, decisions or behave in a particular way. And again, they've never asked the team about what they thought of that, if they really did need it. So they've made some assumptions and just got completely in the way um, when really they should have just mm. stepped back. Yeah. 
let's, let's explore some examples of what we mean by interference because I think this will bring it to life quite yeah. nicely so the first one is the obvious one whenever I talk to teams <laughs> about the things that they hate the most um, and don't want in a leader you know whether, whether they've actually we're talking about their specific leader or just generically micromanaging oh <laughs> yes micromanaging so down in the weeds and the detail and it can be hard you know leaders might be experts in that field and love doing it as well yeah. um, or love that topic or that piece of work but they're genuinely they're trying to keep control and keep things on track but nobody likes being micromanaged um, it's horrible well, I think the problem with this one again it's, it's that classic example of positive intentions and actually what's happening is that they think they think they're speeding things up by by getting involved and being in it they think they're speeding things up and actually they're having the opposite effect they're slowing yeah. things down and they're disempowering the team worst of all, worst of all really you know um so they're robbing the team of accountability for doing this thing themselves in their way and the leaders getting too involved in something so they're actually also i see this happening a lot in teams this dropping down decision making yeah. So decision-making is happening at a higher level than it should be. So decisions that actually could be made by the team themselves, the leaders are getting involved and they're micromanaging and getting right in there. It's using up a lot of their time. There are many more meetings than they should be. Yeah. Um, and they're not operating at the level that, that they should be at. So Yeah, well, they're wasting their own time. They could yeah. be doing so much more with their time. They're also sometimes damaging the confidence or the capability levels of the people in their team. So people who were capable of doing that work or the making those decisions suddenly start to second guess themselves because the leader's doing it and they think, was I doing that wrong? Yeah. Um, and so they can start to lose their confidence. So the leader might actually be damaging individuals by doing this kind of behaviour. And it's ironic that in these teams with these leaders, the leader's probably moaning about a lack of accountability in the team. Always. <laughs> Probably, always. if not always, uh, voting about that. And and actually, they're creating it through this micromanagement. They're creating a behaviour of dependence, of an expectation that they have all the answers, that they that they know the right way to do something, that they, they feel great when a team member comes to them and asks them a question about how they should do something. They come up with the answer and they're straight in there, you know, with the detail of it all and taking over. And actually, all that does is rob people of accountability. And then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? You know, exactly. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, to be brutal, a leader might be behaving in this way because actually deep down they're scared of what would I do if I didn't do this work? Yeah. Um, what's the new work, the strategic, the, the, you know, the actual activity I would do in talking to stakeholders? I don't know what I would do with my time if I didn't do this um, and so there's a, a fear level and I think they have to face into that of letting go and jumping into that unknown of stepping up yeah. into the new area of leadership that they've been assigned yeah. to and operating at the right level that's the yeah. appropriate level for exactly. what they should be doing the second one I think really links into this second example we can give which is about we talked about accountability and how micromanagement robs the team of accountability um but we also see leaders complaining about um, how their team members don't have the same level of accountability for the team's objectives as they do, that the weight of the team's accountability sits solely on the leader's shoulders and not on team members' shoulders as well. But yeah. they don't, they're not in it with them. They don't, they don't share that um, collective responsibility and accountability for the team goals, um, but that, that just generally sits at the leadership level. 
So I, I think that's a really important one to to focus on is, um, you know, how, how, do you, how does that leader get the team to lift their sights as well? We talk about, you probably have heard us before, if you've listened to previous podcasts, I was talking about raising your sights 30 degrees. Yeah. So you're not just focusing on your own work, you're focusing on the team that you're a part of. And that's a role a leader can play, is encouraging that raising of sights and therefore a shared accountability across the team, right? Yeah, and getting the team to think about how do we connect together? How do I pass on, you know, that value chain of I do my work and then I pass it to somebody else within the team? How are they doing that? And how can they help each other be more effective in the way they do it? Um, And also then challenging each other on performance. So it's not just the leader's job anymore. It's actually about all of them looking out for each other, challenging, stretching and giving feedback. And this is where that team first leadership idea really comes to life, I think, um, a lot in this example. If a leader is only measuring individual success, the team's success through individuals, yeah, yeah. and so they've only got individual accountabilities, they've only got individual objectives, they only ever have one-to-ones where they talk about what they're doing on an individual basis, then that's that's all they're going to get is an individual yeah. viewpoint. They're never going to get accountability, are they, for the team's objectives? So actually, they need to shift the conversation. They do. Yeah. And focus more on the team than the individuals within it. And once you focus on the team, then you're much more likely to get those behaviours, that synergies, and you'll reduce then all this decision making bottlenecks that can happen too. Because, you know, the leader stops trying to make all the decisions, they pass it to the team, and the team gets on with it all. Yeah, absolutely. And so often... I think every time every time I've worked with the team, actually, I can't think of many examples, if any, where when we first started working together, where the leader doesn't make most of the decisions. So they are, they, and with that becomes a big bottleneck, as you called it, right? Yeah. So what happens if the leader's not there? Decisions well, don't they get wait. made. <laughs> they wait. And yeah. the leader goes on holiday and works all throughout the holiday yeah. because they have to keep making the decisions. Or they delay the decisions until they get or back. Or they get right? delayed yeah. and have a huge bottleneck when they come back and everybody's just sort of waiting. And often in those teams, they don't see, well, they see a problem, but they don't see that actually if it was done differently, they could make the decisions mm-hmm. because they've been disempowered. Yeah. So the leader has to take that team first approach and say, okay, Let's see how we do this. How do we pass the decision-making back to the level where it works? And you can guarantee again in the conversations with the leader that they're probably moaning about, people come to me all the time. I'm having to answer all these questions oh, again and again. I'm having to make all the decisions. I don't want to make all the decisions. I don't want people ringing me up on my holiday to find out if I, if they can do something. Yeah. Um, I want people to take accountability for it and make those decisions for themselves. Why won't they? And actually what they don't realise is the role that they're playing in reinforcing that behaviour. You know, are they, when people come to them, just answering the question and making the decision or are they asking a question instead of, well, what would you do? (laughs) Have you spoken to other people in the team? Why don't you guys go and decide amongst yourselves? If you need reassurance, I'll give, you know, I'll I'll be a sounding board for you. But ultimately, you know, think about which decisions the team can make and enable them to do it. It is lovely when you have you see that aha light bulb going on in the leader's mind when they suddenly realise that they've been the problem yes, all along. Exactly, yeah. And actually they have the solution yeah. as well. So it's not a difficult thing. Yeah. In fact, 
it's going to free them up. Yeah. So it's not more work in fact it's about liberating them and it's also about liberating the team so it's not more work for the team either it's just smoothing things on so they work better the um, another example is tolerating poor performance so we see this a lot in teams where leaders know where the performance gaps are in in the team and they either don't know how to to deal with those performance gaps or they hope that they'll just go away (laughs) often what happens they're maybe quite conflict averse and so they don't address them and they think that nobody else in the team notices everybody (laughs) knows I mean let's face it we're human beings we notice all this stuff everybody knows who the good ones are and who are the ones that are not keeping up or indeed have the right attitude and so team members know and it's really annoying and frustrating yeah for you know the good team members the high performers everybody's putting everything in to find that someone isn't pulling their weight it's a big reason why people leave teams actually they think that the um, effort is unequal yeah and that they're putting more effort in than somebody else and somebody else is getting away with it and their poor performance is not being addressed they'll go somewhere else where it's a bit more equitable And sometimes, you know, the leader and those poor performing individuals, there may be reasons why they're not performing well. But again, you know, how can the whole team know? So there has to be much more transparency and much more support, because if it is about skill or education or practice or anything, then enabling the team to support that poor performer to get them up to high performance um, would be a much more beneficial way of doing it than just leaving them on a pip on their own or ignoring (laughs) or not doing anything with it at all yeah Yeah. absolutely I was just thinking about an example of a team that we'd worked with where there was an issue uh, with one person performing poorly in this leader's team and it was causing really big frustration and disengagement in the rest of the team and it was interesting because when we talked to the leader he thought that he'd given feedback to this person about their poor performance and but it was still continuing but when you talk to the individual they had heard the message no concept of that at all so the leader thought that he'd done something about it and the team member had never even heard that message or if, if they'd had the conversation it had gone through straight through <laughs> in one ear and out the other so it's always, I think it's really important, you know, with poor, poor performance in particular, it's not just a once and done thing. No. You have to kind of continuously keep having conversations about it. I'd say that poor person feels really supported by the leader, but also that, you know, as you said, there's an opportunity for the team also. You're not saying that you should necessarily have open conversations about performance with the whole team about an individual that's not the answer but there's also something you can do in terms of helping people to mentor each other and teach each other new skills and so on that can can really pair part here yeah in a team context i mean high performing teams will support each other's performance growth um, when times are tough when people are learning new things you know everybody can chip in and help and and you know will want to do that because they're all doing it for each other so it becomes a very mutually stretching challenging environment and that in a way you know builds this um, positive cycle of you know I'm going to have a go at learning something or developing something that I've never done I might make mistakes 
but it will be supported by everybody else and you'll know that they'll help you. So of course you're going to do that for your other team members. Mm. And then it doesn't just rely on the leader to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if those are some of the issues that leaders can face, examples Mm. of behaviour that interferes ultimately with a team's journey to high performance, let's have a think about how leaders can accelerate their um, team's performance. And if we're going to link it back here to the our edge dynamics, because, you know, they're they're awesome. (laughs) They are the answer. To, uh, ultimately, they're the factors that that um, create high performance in teams. So it's natural, therefore, that the leader should have a really key role in bringing those to life. Yeah. So those edge dynamics are reason, results, routines, relationships and resilience. Let's have a look at each of those in turn. Tell us about reason and, so and we, the role yeah. that the leader can play. So if we start with reason, I mean, reason is all about your North Star. Where are we headed? What's important to us as a team? Um, and, you know, How do we know how each individual fits into that reason? Um, So it's understanding it at an organizational level. Why do we exist as a team? Why did the the organization set us up? It's also about what's important to us as a team, as more than just what the organization says, how do we want to feel and be as a team? And then understanding who the various individuals are in the team and how they connect in terms of their own motivations so it's helped the team to really clarify that and be able to articulate it so that everybody in the team can talk about it but then also making sure that everybody's aligned with it so that they know where their tasks sit and fit within that overall purpose and then that connects people to feeling something much more motivational and intrinsic and I think this really connects back to what we were talking earlier about how the leader has that special role and that special those special relationships with all those key stakeholders so they have a probably the best view of anybody yeah as to what that reason might be they you do know, they can't create it in isolation like it's never going to be as impactful if they do so they've got to involve their team in that but there's some there's this I don't know special role that they can play in bringing that to life for people because of their relationships that they have. And the, the second one around results, so the second edge dynamic of results, again, it's about clarity, isn't it? About the, the leader can help clarify the team's accountabilities. And then once they're clear on them and they know that they should only have a few, less is more, no more than five, we say. Once you've got your team accountabilities, they ruthlessly prioritise. They are ruthless about it. You know, They are consistently looking at those um, those results and thinking about, you know, when more stuff comes in, what do I what do I prioritize here? What is the priority for the team? And they help the team to see that. It's such a practical tool um, for measuring progress, for prioritizing, for adapting what the team's doing. Um, it's one of the most empowering tools um, around for teams. Yeah. Uh, relationships and routines and resilience then build up and support the delivery of those results. They enable us to really you know, deliver against the reason. So routines are the next aspect that really gets um, some benefits if leaders want to accelerate the performance of their team. They often get stuck and are heavy, um, often becoming boring. And really what leaders need to do is have regular 
reviews of the routines. Make sure the meetings are actually fit for purpose, how the communication processes and flows to keep everybody up to date are working, what tools are they using for collaboration, um, and also get the team to review the decision-making processes. So I think the role that the leader can play here is so crucial as that facilitator, that that owner of the meeting flow somehow with, with yes. in the team. And, you know, the, the champion of making sure that these routines work for this team. They're constantly reviewing it, aren't they? They're, they're paying attention all the time. They're continuously improving them and checking in with the team in that helicopter view that they can have. Yeah. of the team it's such a nice one isn't it and also yeah. challenging themselves that the routines aren't there for them yeah. that they're actually in service of the whole team mm. so you know sometimes we hear about these awful meetings where everybody goes round robin saying everything that they've been doing and delivered over the month or whatever and everybody else is just doing their emails because it's boring it's really an update for the leader and it's not necessarily a useful um, way of updating the whole team and doesn't add value to the whole team so it is up to the leader to challenge themselves about why am I doing it this way is there a better way for me to get the information I need to know what's going on in the team as well as what's really useful for the team to do as a collective that adds value and invigorates them and moves them forward the next edge dynamic is relationships, such a crucial one, such a crucial one for the leader to play a really important role in because they can help the team to develop and maintain really deep and trusting relationships that evolve as the team does. So they should always have an eye on what the relationships are like, what the levels of trust are like, what the levels of psychological safety are, are like in this team and be doing things to help the team to adjust that as needed. Um, they conflict as well. Their role in conflict can be a really important one. So they can play a really important part in managing destructive conflict when it occurs. So the arguments that people have, the disagreements that turn into something nastier than, and more enduring than it needs to be, something that's getting in the way of the dynamics of the team. But also they can help the team to lean into more productive conflict. So it's not about the avoidance of conflict here. Um, it's about helping the team to develop the skills that they need and the behaviours that they need to really demonstrate that productive conflict that can lead to such wonderful um, collaborations. And that's when you start to get that really inclusive piece of everybody has a voice and everybody can share their view. Um, and you get all those lovely diverse opinions and perspectives coming through, which then leads to resilience, which is how do you bring new people on board quickly, um, comprehensively and into the team? bringing in all that their experience that they've brought with them. Because so often new members are told, this is the way it's done around here. And we lose that richness and that bright new perspective on the team. So how do we do that and build them in and induct it so that the team learns from the new member as much as the new member learns from the team? Yes. And It's more of an they... integration than an assimilation. Exactly. <laughs> I love that integration versus assimilation. It's also about making sure that when people are leaving, that you uh, get all the knowledge from them, from their experience, and also that they leave well. It's not so, traumatic for the team. It so often can be, actually. Yes. People just disappear or, you know, there's no you know real acknowledgement of the value that they've brought to the, to the team in the time that they've been there. So I think that's an important one to end well. Yes, you want yeah. good endings because everybody notices. Because yeah. guess what? We'll all end at some time. Yeah. Um, so you want to know that that's um, done well, but it also ensures the continuity and the sustaining high mm. performance of the team. 
And that leads to the, the, the another idea that sit, sits under resilience, which is this idea of continuous improvement, that a high-performing team is constantly reviewing how it does things and thinks there's always a better way. You know, we just haven't found it yet. The leader can ask those questions. Yeah. They, they play a role in facilitating that and, and nudging the team to be thinking in that way all the time. Yeah, and adapting to new stuff that's coming along and getting ready for new things, Mm. Um, new systems, new processes, new impacts from the various um, external factors Mm. that might influence what's going on in the team. And so it's also an opportunity within resilience for growth and development for the individuals within the team so that they can recharge and um, learn new things. Mm. So that's bringing us to the end of this podcast, where we've talked about the role of the leader in a high-performing team, how they're a part of the team, just like everybody else, but actually they're a bit special as well. They have that helicopter view, they've got these relationships with the key stakeholders, and they've got individual relationships with each of the team members, and team members pay a lot of attention to them. So they've got to be careful and be aware of the impact they're having on the team, positively or negatively, that they um, should have a team first approach to their leadership rather than an individual first approach and that they can be a massive accelerator but they can also be an interference um so we looked at some examples of interference like micromanaging uh being a bottleneck for decision making tolerating poor performance and uh, creating a lack of accountability in the team but we also looked at of course at the ways in which they can be an accelerator which links back to the edge dynamics of reason results routines, relationships, and resilience. So we hope you've enjoyed our podcast today and we look forward to, to next talking time. to you next time. I was going to say see you next time, but that doesn't quite work, no. is it, on a podcast? We'll talk to you next yeah. time. We look forward to it. Bye.